Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most painful, most difficult moments in life is when a loved one leaves you. You think of a, a young man and a young woman who, who are in a serious relationship, but it's, it's long distance, for example. And one of them comes to visit, and they spend a lot of time together for several days in a row, and it's a wonderful time, but, but then the day comes when he or she has to return home. How hard, how, how painful that is. Or to take a, a more serious example, think, think of when a dear loved one dies. Even when that loved one knows the Lord Jesus and, and we can say that, oh yes, it's good for, for him or for her. She's, they, they're, they're, they're away from this world of sin and of misery and they're with Jesus. As Paul said, to be with Christ is, is far better. It's good for them, but how hard and how painful it is for us, isn't it, who are left behind. Not one of us would ever think of an, an event like that as good news. And we tend to think that way about the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of all the events of his life, how can this, how can his leaving his people to go to heaven be good news for us? Uh, it's easy to see how his resurrection from the dead is good. I mean, by the resurrection, he conquers death and he comes back to life. And, uh, yes, but, but his ascension into heaven... His, his leaving us, how is that good news? Aren't you ever tempted to think along those lines? Aren't you ever tempted to think that your life would be better if Jesus had stayed on earth? I, I mean, imagine for a moment if he had. Then if you wanted to ask him a question, you, you could just call him on your, on your cell phone and ask him that question, and you could get his answer directly. Or, or if you were sick, you, you could just go to him. You might have to get on a plane maybe, but, but you could go to him for healing. If you had marriage troubles, you could, you could seek his help directly. Haven't you ever wished that, that Jesus had just stayed here, or, or at least that you had lived in Israel during his ministry? Surely that would be better. Wouldn't it? That's how we contend to think. But in John 16, the passage we read this afternoon, Jesus tells us otherwise. He's talking to his 11 disciples here, and in verses 5 through 7, he tells them that he's going away. He's going back to his Father. And he's talking here about his coming ascension into heaven, which, which we know happens just 40 days, over 40 days later, after he says these words. But the striking thing is, that he says very plainly, is that this event, his ascension, is actually good news for them. You look just at the beginning of verse 7 of John, John chapter 16. He says these words, Nevertheless, he says, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. It is Better, it is to your advantage that I go away. Christ, what Christ is saying here to his disciples in our text is basically this. Christ's ascension, his ascension into heaven is good 
news. But maybe you're, maybe you're thinking, how so? Well, with God's help, that's the question we hope to answer this afternoon as we consider the biblical teaching of, uh, on Christ's ascension summarized for us in Lord's Day 18 and also in light of John 16 and other passages as well. So our theme this afternoon is Christ's ascension into heaven is good news. First, we'll see it confirms his saving work for us. Secondly, it upholds his promise to be with us. And thirdly, it secures his blessings for us. Well, congregation, most if not all of us know the story of Jesus going up to heaven, don't we? Both Mark and Luke tell us about it, but Luke really gives uh, the most detail. He describes it in amazing detail, really, both in Luke 24, which we read in Acts chapter 1. But just imagine for a moment, children, imagine being there when, when it happened. Imagine being with the disciples of the Lord Jesus as they are, are led by him about two miles outside of Jerusalem to Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And imagine standing there with them and, and hearing him saying to them that, that they will be his witnesses all over the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you look at the disciples and, and every one of them, they're looking intently, they're listening intently to the Lord Jesus as he's speaking. And then they see him lift his hands up and they, they hear him blessing them. And then suddenly, as he's blessing them, he begins to rise from the ground. And the disciples, they, they just watch in awe and then they, they're craning their necks more and more and more as Jesus goes higher and higher and higher until the cloud receives him out of their sight. What an amazing thing to see. And, and as they stand there gazing into heaven, wondering where, where did Jesus go? Then all of a sudden there's two men standing near them dressed in white, two angels. And they tell them where Jesus went. He had gone, gone into heaven. And they tell his disciples that one day he will come back again in the same way that they had seen him go into heaven. What an amazing event. But what does it all mean? What does the ascension of Jesus Christ teach us? Well, it teaches us, congregation, that Jesus Christ really is the great Savior from sin. It confirms his saving work for us. And that's the first way Christ's ascension is such good news, confirming his saving work for us, for his people. Think again about the Catechism's answer to question 46. How do you understand these words, he ascended into heaven? And the answer is, is this, that Christ, in sight of his disciples, was taken up from earth into heaven and that he continues there for our interest until he comes, to ju comes again to judge the living and the dead. Now, now, in one sense, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's just, it's just telling us, giving us the facts of Christ's ascension. Well, beloved, these facts are not simply facts. They are facts with meaning. They are facts that confirm Christ's saving work for us. For one thing, the fact of Christ's ascension confirms, their facts confirm that he has accomplished all things necessary for salvation. You see, beloved, heaven isn't just a really nice place. It is that. But it's more than that. Heaven is the Father's house. 
God is everywhere present, yes. But the Bible teaches that He's especially present. He especially manifests His presence in heaven. The Bible tells us that heaven is the place of God's throne. And that's where Jesus went when He ascended to His Father. He says it himself in John 16 that he was going to the one who sent him. And he's speaking there of God the Father. And his going there, beloved, his going there tells us that he did all that the Father had given him to do. All that he had sent him to do for the salvation of all his people. All who believe and trust in him. He did it all. He finished the work completely and perfectly. Even the very way the Bible describes his ascension highlights this. It doesn't say, it doesn't say Jesus Christ went up, though that's, that's true. But it says in, in Luke that he was carried up into heaven. And in Mark and in Acts, it says that he was taken up or uh, received up into heaven. Now, what's the question we should ask? Who carried Jesus up? Who took Jesus up? Who received him into heaven? It's the one who sent him. It was the one who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him should should not perish but have everlasting life. He received his son. Why? Because his son had finished the work that he, the father, had given him to do. You know, think about it this way, children. Young people, maybe your parents sometimes have told you that you need to go clean your room. And maybe they say something like this, don't come back to me until it's done. Now, if you try and, and come back to them be, without finishing cleaning up your room and they, and they know it, what will happen? Well, if they're going to be true to their word, they're, they're not going to accept you, are they? They're not going to receive you. They're going to send you back. Go back to your room and finish what I told you to do. It's only when the work is done, you see, that they will welcome you, that that they will receive you. And so you see Christ being taken up and received and welcomed into heaven is telling us that he finished everything his father had sent him to do for the salvation of his people, everyone, of everyone who believes on him. It's all done and so the father, he, he, he didn't, he couldn't refuse his son. He didn't bar heaven's gates against him. But no, he threw them wide open and welcomed his son home, telling us that he has approved and accepted Christ's saving work. And I ask you t- tonight, congregation, isn't that such good news? Because that means that trusting in him you and I may receive and be assured of our salvation, of everlasting life. And we may boldly then proclaim like the disciples after they saw Christ go up into heaven and then the Holy Spirit was poured out, we may boldly proclaim like them the good news of salvation in Christ to those around us, to all around us, because Jesus Christ was taken up into heaven. You see, the facts of Christ's ascension confirm that he has accomplished all things necessary. All things necessary for our salvation. 
But there's more too. You see, we need more than just Christ's accomplishment of salvation for us. We need Jesus to apply his salvation to us. We need him to to regenerate us and grant us faith and repentance so that we might be justified and receive the adoption as, as children of God. We need him to sanctify us and to preserve us and to glorify us. And the wonderful thing is, congregation, that Christ's ascension confirms to us that he does exactly that. He didn't go to heaven, you see, just for himself. Though he's worthy of all glory. He didn't go to heaven just to enjoy and to receive the praise of angels and saints in heaven. But he went there and he continues there in the words of our catechism for our good, for our interest. Acts 5 verse 31. Him, Jesus, God has exalted with his right hand to be a prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He continues in heaven. He's ascended to heaven and continues in heaven in order, beloved, to apply the salvation that he has accomplished, that he has purchased for his people. Isn't that also what Ephesians 4 tells us? Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 16. I'm going to read these verses, and it's a long passage, and so I invite you to to turn, turn there with me. Ephesians 4, verses 8 to 16. I'm not going to to expound all that's in there, but I simply want us to see that he's ascended to heaven in order to apply his salvation to us. So Ephesians Ephesians 4, beginning at at verse 8, says this. Wherefore he says, when he, speaking of Christ, ascended up on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And and now, especially here, beginning at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what? For what? For the perfecting of saints, of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now there's a lot in that passage. I understand that. We're not going to... to, to really dwell on everything that's in there. But, but I, I want us to see the main point. It begins by talking about all those things that Christ does in, in verses really 14 or, or 12 rather to, to 16. He does it as the ascended Savior. 
using the means that he has appointed. It doesn't that tell us, beloved, that he continues in heaven for our interest? Doesn't it tell us that Christ's ascension confirms that he hasn't just accomplished all things necessary for our salvation, but he also applies salvation too? And that's good news. But the facts of Christ's ascension confirm one more thing about his saving work. It confirms that he will bring his good work of salvation to completion. Isn't that what the angel's words to the disciples after, right after Christ's ascension tell us? What do they say? Do you remember, children? Young people? They said to the disciples that they stood gazing up at the cloud that had carried Jesus out of their sight. They said, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He will come again. And he will judge the living and the dead. He will restore all things. You see, yes, Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he won't stay in heaven forever. As Hebrews 9 verse 28 puts it, Unto them that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin for salvation, for the fullness of his people's salvation. You see, even the account of his ascension, all the facts of his ascension into heaven confirm that he will return and bring his good work of salvation to completion. Christ's ascension, beloved, confirms his saving work for his people. That's good news. That should be a comfort. That should be a comfort to you who are looking to and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your salvation is secure in Him. That should encourage you to persevere then, to continue on, and to hold fast your confession of Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord. To whom else shall you go? He alone has the words of eternal life. And at the same time, what an encouragement, what a call also this is to you who are here this afternoon, and you do not know the Lord in a saving way. Well, have a Christ's ascension into heaven declares to you that salvation is to be found in Him. Oh, then fly to Him. Nothing else matters in your life more than that you entrust yourself to Him. Nothing. It matters more. That matters entrusting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ matters. It matters more than your girlfriend or your boyfriend. It matters more than your family or your other friends. It matters more than your job. It matters more than anything else. Don't let the cares of this life choke out the good news of Christ's ascension, proclaiming salvation to all who call on the name of the Lord. Young people, are you listening? Older ones too. But maybe you say, doesn't this mean, doesn't the ascension of Christ mean that he's no longer with us? And maybe that's not just a, you know, a question, a speculative question, but it may be a real painful question. It may be that that, that, that's what it feels like sometimes. It feels like Christ isn't with you. But congregation, Christ has promised he will be with his people. And God's word tells us that his ascension doesn't cancel that promise. 
it upholds it. And that's the second way Christ's ascension is good news. It upholds his promise to be with us. But you say that doesn't seem possible. I mean, Christ himself says in our passage, John 16, the one that we read, that he's going away. He's leaving. If his ascension is a going away, a going away to the Father, then how can he still be with us? doesn't seem to make sense. And that's why question 47 of the Catechism asks, is not Christ then with us even to the end of the world as he has promised? But what's the answer, the Bible-based answer to that question? Christ is very man and very God. With respect to his human nature, he is no more on earth. But with respect to his Godhead, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is at no time absent from us. You see, Christ's ascension doesn't break his promise to be with us. It upholds it because of who he is. He's not just a man. He's also God. He's God made flesh. God and man in one person. That's a teaching of Scripture. And that means that He is with us as He has promised. I know there are things, congregation, here that we cannot fully understand. But it's what God's Word teaches. And God cannot lie. It's what the Bible says. Right, children? God cannot lie. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Or as 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20 declares, all the promises of God in Christ are yea, and in him all men unto the glory of God. All the promises of God, including the promise of God the Son made flesh in Matthew 28, verse 20. Lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. A promise is true. A promise is trustworthy. It's a promise of God. But how? How is he with us then? Christ's ascension into heaven clearly tells us he is not with us in his human nature. In his human body and soul, he is not here. This may seem obvious to you, but we have to understand as well that these questions were written out of a context dealing with the Lutherans. The Lutherans believe, the Lutherans still today, they believe that Christ's human nature is everywhere present. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The ascension teaches us, beloved, that Christ in his human nature, even though he's risen from the dead, and yes, he has a glorified body, he's not in his human nature everywhere present. He is in heaven. And Christ emphasizes this over and over again in this section of scripture which we read from. In John 13 to 16, he's spending his last night before his crucifixion with his disciples, and he says repeatedly, he is going away, speaking of his ascension. Where I go, he says in John 13, you cannot come. You cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. In John 14, he speaks of his going to prepare a place for his people. He he speaks of his going away, of, of leaving the world, of his going unto the Father. He's going to him who sent him. Christ Jesus, in his human nature, went to heaven. And that's why... 
That's why the Lutherans and Catholics are wrong when they say that in some way Christ is physically present at the Lord's Supper. He's not with us in his human nature. But how is he with us then? He's with us in his divine nature. He's with us, he's with his people as God, as God with respect to his Godhead, His majesty, His grace, and His spirit, He is at no time absent from us. It's a beautiful thing. And you read through John 13 to to 17, right, where Christ is giving His farewell to His disciples. Over and over, He's saying He's going to leave. But in the middle of all that, you know what He says in John 14, verse 23? If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode, our home, with him. So you see, Christ's ascension, it doesn't cancel his promise to be with us. It upholds it. What an encouragement that should be to us, dear fellow believers. Christ is not only our high priest who has passed through the heavens, he is also with us on earth as we, as we live to be a witness to him, for, for him, to those around us. He is with us in the midst of all of our struggles, all of our trials, all of our afflictions. He is always with us. He is with us as the glorious God who cannot be contained in heaven or on earth. He is with us in his kingly majesty, sovereignly and wisely directing all the circumstances of our life for our good. He is with us in His grace, His superabounding grace to forgive our abounding sin, His sanctifying grace to conform us to the image of His dear Son, and His sustaining grace to enable us to persevere in faith. He is with us and in us by, uh, by His Spirit, whom He sends to abide with us forever and to guide us into all truth. Yes, He is with us, even always, even to the end of the world. Christ's ascension upholds that promise. That's the point. That's the point. Wherever you are, dear believer, whether it's the kitchen, or the office, or the job site, or the truck, or the care home, or the hospital, in whatever circumstance, yes, even when you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Christ the Lord is with you. But maybe you wonder, how does that, how does it work? What what good is that in a sense? Doesn't that mean that Christ's human and divine natures are divided? In the words of question 48, if his human nature is not present, Wherever his Godhead is, are not then these two natures in Christ separated from one another? That's a deep question. You have to understand it's a very important one, beloved. You see, if if the two natures of Christ are divided, if, if only Christ's human nature is in heaven and his divine nature is with us, then that disqualifies Christ from being our mediator. Because our mediator must be God and man in one person, not only to accomplish redemption, but also to apply redemption by His Spirit. 
And if Christ then is in heaven only in his human nature, then how can he apply redemption to us? How can he grant us repentance and forgiveness of sins? How can he restore to us that righteousness and the life that we lost because of sin? He can't. He must be God to do those things. And so if Christ's human and divine natures are divided, we're still lost. We're still in our sins. We're still without hope. But this is the wonderful gospel truth. His two natures are not divided. Not at all, to use the words of the Catechism. For since the Godhead is illimitable, without, unable to be limited, and omnipresent, everywhere present, it must necessarily follow that the same is beyond the limits of the human nature he assumed, he took on, and yet is nevertheless in this human nature and remains personally united to it. That's a mouthful. But what it's, what it's saying, that in other words, is that Christ's divine nature is infinite and everywhere present. And so if you think about Solomon when he built the temple, maybe this is a helpful il- illustration. It's not quite the same, but when, when Solomon built the temple and he dedicated the temple, he said that heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain God, much less the temple that he had built. And yet the temple was where God was pleased to put his name to dwell, it says. And so in the same way, Christ's human body and soul, it cannot contain his divine nature. His divine nature is, is bigger. It, it, it's, it's, it's everywhere present. And yet, and yet in a way we cannot fully understand his divine nature is in and remains personally united to his human body and soul. Now, I know this is pretty deep, maybe hard to follow, hard to grasp. But let me just try to apply it practically a little bit. What does it mean practically? It means this, that the Christ who is with you now, even though we cannot understand how this all works, but the Christ who is with you now in his divine nature is not a half Christ. It's the whole Christ. Because in, in the way we cannot understand, he's united, his divine nature is united to his, his human nature and in it. And it remains that way. That means that the Christ we have with us here and now is not a different Christ than the Christ who has gone to be in heaven. It's the same Christ. And so you can be sure that he understands your struggles. The one who is with you. He's been here. He's lived here. He's under, he understands what it is to be tempted the Christ who is with you is one who can both sympathize, sympathize with you and also help you in all your trials and temptations and troubles. Yes, what a friend, as the hymn writer put it, what a friend we have in Jesus. Christ's ascension upholds his promise to be with us. Oh, that we would grasp this more. Because like Mary and Martha, we're so prone to think, as they once said, if only he were here. Our brother, Lazarus, would not have died. We can tend to think that he is not with us, that he doesn't know and feel our grief, that he is too far away in heaven. He's unmoved by our pain. He's too far away to help. And perhaps you think, only, if only he were here, he could help me with my marriage, with my family. 
If only he were here, I could boldly stand up for him and bear any kind of persecution for him. If only he were here, I could overcome this besetting sin. If only he were here, I could be assured that my sins are forgiven. But don't you see? Don't you see? Christ is here. His ascension into heaven does not mean his promise to be with us is not true. He is here. So if you are looking to him in faith, humbling yourself, he is with you. He is in you even. And he has perfect righteousness to cover all your sins. And he has almighty power to overcome your remaining sins. He who has the ascended Lord granted boldness to his apostles when they prayed to him can also and will also then grant you boldness to witness for him. He who is the wisdom of God will also give wisdom liberally to those who ask for him, ask him for it in faith, in all their struggles, in all their challenges, also in marriage and family life. But perhaps you are here and you think, if only Christ were here, then I would believe in him. But don't you see? Christ is here. And he offers himself to you even now, today, in the proclamation of the gospel. Well, then cast yourself on him. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will lift you up. And you will have in Christ as your glorious, as your Savior, your glorious Savior and your faithful helper and friend. Always, even unto the end of the world. Christ's ascension upholds his promise to be with us. That's good news. But lastly yet, his ascension also secures his blessings for us. That's what question and answer 49 in the Catechism highlights. Question 49 asks, of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? And the answer mentions three specific blessings in total, and we'll just consider each of them very briefly. The first blessing is the blessing of his intercession. The Catechism puts it this way, he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. What does that mean, children? What does it mean for Jesus to be an advocate? Well, think about a courtroom. Courtroom. An advocate is is kind of like a defense lawyer who pleads for the one he is defending before the judge. That is what Christ is doing for his people in heaven. He is pleading for them. He is interceding for them. 1 John 2 verse 1. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Dear Christian, don't you need such an advocate? Don't you sin each and every day? Don't you need his intercession? You do. I do. But you see, Christ's ascension has secured that blessing for us. He has gone to heaven. Why? To be our advocate. That's why he's able to save to the uttermost all who come unto God by him because he ever lives to make intercession for them. What an amazing blessing this is. A blessing we don't deserve. 
What a blessing to have. To have Jesus Christ, the righteous, as our advocate, stand up in his Father's presence in heaven and to say, Father, that boy, that girl, that teenager, that man, that, that woman, that elderly person believes in me. He's mine. They're mine. I have put away their sins by my blood. They are righteous in me. That's what his ascension secures. Think about that next time you've sinned. doesn't mean you should continue in sin. That should humble you. You have such a Savior. But it also secures for us a pledge in, in heaven that we will one day be with Him in glory. That's the second blessing. And we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that He, Jesus, as the head, will also take up to Himself us, His members. As Jesus tells us in John 14, verses 2 to 3, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Christ's ascension and continuation in heaven, because of our union, his union with his people, and our union with him, is a solemn pledge that we also will one day be with him where he is, that we may behold his glory. What a prospect. And it's a prospect we may be sure of because of his ascension. Oh, what good news that is for believers. Dear believer, you have a place in heaven being, think of it, imagine it. You have a place in heaven right now that Jesus Christ is preparing for you in glory so that you might be with him because you are united to him and that, that union with Christ is, is indestructible and, 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 and he has gone there ahead of you. He is in heaven to do that very thing. Oh, what confidence, oh, what hope, oh, what joy that should give us as believers. Christ's ascension is good news. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you know this, beloved? Do you know the Savior? Maybe you're thinking this is all well and good. Christ, Christ as our advocate is, is wonderful. Having a pledge of future glory is amazing. But, but I need help here and now. I need help to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Well, that brings us to one more blessing with Christ's ascension. Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, If I go not away, the Comforter, speaking of the Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The Spirit is the blessing that Christ's ascension secures. And he's a blessing in so many ways, but also because he is to use the words of the catechism like an earnest, like a down payment. You have your, we have our pledge in, in heaven, as it were, and Christ there being there in his human nature. We also have a pledge in our souls, a, a, a promise, a pledge, a guarantee in our souls 
the Holy Spirit, by whose power we seek the things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God and not things on earth. You see, in other words, Christ's ascension secures the blessing of the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a sort of foretaste, and as a pledge of heaven in our souls to enable us also to live as citizens of heaven, to live as we are called to live as Christians, as prophets, priests, and kings. How does he do that? You know, he does, if you keep reading how Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit's work, he does it by taking of the things of Christ, the things that belong to Christ, and showing them unto us, showing us his glory, and by giving us to spiritual life and strength to live as Christians. What a gift the Spirit of Christ is. What a blessing it is that we may have him. so easy and sad when we take him for granted. But beloved, you see, we could not have the spirit of Jesus Christ and not ascend it. That's what Christ himself said in John 16. But Christ has ascended and he has sent his spirit as an earnest and to empower us to live for him. Oh, then, if we live in the spirit and every true Christian lives in the spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit, looking to Christ in dependence on, on Him and his, dependence on His Spirit, putting sin to death, setting our minds on things above, putting on Christ, so that people, when they see us, they see Christ in us. And if you do not have this Spirit, and come to Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins and your unbelief and turn to this ascended King of glory in repentance and faith. And He will give you, He will save you, and He will give you His Spirit as that pledge of your salvation to enable you to live for the honor and the glory of Christ. Christ as our advocate, as our pledge in heaven of glory and the Spirit, His Spirit in us. Those are the blessings Christ's ascension secures. Do you see with me, congregation, how Jesus leaving us in His human nature is really actually good news? What better news for hell-deserving sinners like you and me can there be and the news that Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven. The only question is, how will you respond to this news? The news, the good news of Christ's ascension. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we bow in awe of your salvation. What a plan that you designed in eternity.
to save sinners. What a Savior you have given. One who came, made himself of no reputation, humbled himself even to death, the death of the cross, and is now exalted, therefore, at your right hand, Newton glory. Lord, we thank you that the ascension of Jesus Christ is good news, that it means that all that we need for to be saved, he has accomplished. So that trusting in him, we may know and be assured of salvation because he has done it all and he applies it and he will bring it to completion. What a miracle. What amazing grace. And that we may know that he is also with us. That even we, the triune God may be with us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, these are mysteries that we cannot fully understand. But they are revealed to us in your word. And we give thanks for them. And we thank you for the blessings that Christ pours out on his people. People who deserve nothing but hell. What a miracle. Lord, we pray. Please grant that no one can leave this church without being brought into a saving relationship with you. Don't let anyone, let the cares of this life choke the word, choke the good news of salvation and cause this gospel to go out, O Lord, out from these walls as we go into our week. to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that your name would be praised and glorified. Forgive all that was sinful, O Lord, we pray, all of our shortcomings and all of our weaknesses, also in our worship. And guide us in this week. Care for us. Help us in all of our struggles and trials, whatever griefs we may have, whatever griefs we may remember. In Jesus' name, amen.